this bonus episode of Illegal Tender Season 5, we hear from Natalie John-Baptiste, who is a lawyer who helps student loan borrowers go through the bankruptcy process. She shares some unique insights having gone through the process itself. College was my only option after high school. My mom made that very clear. She didn't go to college and she always wished, wished that she had. So when we were younger, for my sister and I, she had two rules. You're going to college and you're going to live on your own before you get married. You're not moving from my house into a house with someone that you are married to. Like, you need to figure out who you are. Those are two things she didn't do. So college was the only option. There was no other way out. But she also had no money to help us. So we were... So just student loans were our only way. So when I was applying for colleges, I went where my sister went, and that I just kind of followed her there. And every semester, I paid for my own college with my with student loans. I didn't have even one dime that was given to me to pay for college. It was all through student loans, and I did get scholarships for my GPA. But not enough to, I mean, clearly not enough to have put me through. So once I got to college, just thinking about what I wanted to do with my life, it was abundantly clear to me that my art teacher made such an impact on my life. And I felt so safe and the most more able to be myself in that classroom and just think about what how did I want to spend my time and my my days on on this planet it made a lot of sense to me to to be able to give that to someone else so I went into art education and graduated it was a five-year program graduated in five years came out of college And it's kind of hard to get a job as an art teacher. Like, it's not... In every building, there are... Like, I I teach at a really small school. And there are three math teachers and one math teacher that works in... Like, he's a special ed math teacher. So four math teachers in a really small school. I am the only art teacher in the entire school. So break that down across the city... You have one art teacher per building. It's not that many. You're, you're way more likely to get a job in, in a core subject area. So I actually got my job teaching art at a middle school that's right down the road from where I teach now. And it was, it was, a, it was a really rough school, not because the kids were different. They're the same exact kids Brothers and sisters of the kids I teach now, it was just a rough school for different reasons. And because of that, they had a drama program. And one day, this teacher, this drama teacher, she got off the train to go to work in the morning. She stepped out onto the platform. The doors closed behind her. She walked up the steps over the platform, went back down, and waited for the train to go home and never came into work. So they were like, maybe drama is not for our kids. Maybe we need to look at something else. So that's when they were like, we'll try art. So I walked into a class 
that had never had art before in January with a, a program where the kids were were I walked into someone else's mess. If you know what I mean. And not not by the fault of the students, but just clearly it was so difficult that this woman couldn't go into work in the morning. Like she turned around and went home. And I was there for four years. And the dance teacher at my school, she left my school and she went to 528. That's where I teach now. And she called me one day and she was like, we need an art teacher. Call this phone number. And I, I wasn't looking for a new job. I never went. There's It's called open market in New York. I never went on open market and never looked for anything. But I did call the phone number and this woman answered and I said, oh, I'm sorry, I think I have the wrong number. I was calling for um, Miss De La Cruz, like the principal of 528. She's like, oh, yeah, this is me. And my principal wouldn't have even known my name. Like she'd still, n- nobody had her phone number. It was, I, it was like a, my mind was blown that this woman would have given her phone number out to someone and then answered the phone when someone called. Long story short, she hires me over the phone. She was like, I I trust your references. The conversation I'm having with you, I can tell that you really love Washington Heights art and middle school, and those things are really hard to find, so you're hired. It was the middle of the summer. She didn't even know what I looked like till I came in with all my boxes. And 10 years later, I'm still at that school. So I know that that's not specific to student loans, but that's you said start from the beginning. So No, it gives us a really good overview of... Um where you began and where you are now. So you chose to do art and education mm-hmm. in college. What college was this and when did you get your degree and how much debt did you graduate with? So I graduated with, I believe, eight, around 80000 at that time from a school in Indiana called Grace College. I wouldn't recommend it. I did not enjoy my experience there. I did, like I said, I followed my sister there and she ended up also not enjoying her experience as well. I mean, I'm glad I went to school with my sister. My sister's my best friend and has been. Like, we have never not been close. And I know some people go through times when they're younger and they're not. They're like, oh, well, just wait. When you're older, your sister's going to be your best friend. Look, my sister was always my best friend. So I'm really glad that we went to the same school. But I hate the school that we went to. And... When I graduated in 2006, I was, I believe, $80,000 in debt at that time. And in New York City, to be a teacher, you have to get your master's degree. You, it's not an option to not. Like, I didn't go back to school because, I mean, I do love being a student. And I love going to school. And if it were free, I would go back and do another course. But in New York City, if you don't get your master's degree, you don't have a license to keep teaching. So I went back and got my master's degree and I graduated from a school in Philadelphia. So it was a residency program and I was there for two weeks at a time and then online with my cohort throughout the week and then two weeks at a time throughout the year. And it was it was a degree in urban studies with a concentration in transformative arts. It, it was like the most amazing program, like designed for me. And... 
So then after that, I was 120000 in debt. So that's my debt story. <laughs> and, you know, did you ever think after doing the master's, like, oh, my God, how am I going to pay all this back? I mean, what was the first step you did after you, you know, got the bill? I mean, did you consolidate? Or like, what was your action? Oh, I've been paying back my bill since I started, since 2006. And it wasn't so much like, how am I going to pay this back? I just thought I'm never going to pay this back. But it got me, a, it, it, it earned me a seat at the table. So I didn't care. If I pay this back for the rest of my life, I'm doing what I love to do. So I'm doing, I have a life that my mom would have dreamed, my mom would have loved to go to college. That was not in the cards for her. It was just a different time. And she learned from that, and she made it different for my sister and I. My sister never finished. I'm the only one that's finished in my family. So, <laughs> and and looking at my my sister's life now, like, there's a, there's, she's a mother, and that is, that like, she's so happy, and she's so good at being a mother, but it has restricted her in what she's able to earn, like, financially. She subs at her kid's school. And there's a there's a program she wants to join, which would allow her to teach English. They won't even look at her because she doesn't have a college degree. So that degree, it, it gave me something. I wouldn't have any of this without that. So thinking about how I'm going to pay it back was not on the forefront of my mind. It was just gratitude for being able to be in my classroom. So when you started paying it back and you were living, I guess, in Washington Heights, mm-hmm. what, how much of that money was going to, the money you were earning was going to student loans? How much to rent? Can you give us an idea? Of in the it? beginning? In the beginning, yeah. In the beginning, you don't start, like, I make more now than I did then. And so I've always been on an income-based repayment plan. And I think in the beginning, it was like $260 a month of a $48,000 a year salary. No, not now. That was then. (laughs) Yeah. So it's a chunk. $48,000 to start when I started. I think it's more than that now if you start teaching. And then you get raises every year, and then you you get your master's, you get a raise for that. You can get a national board license, and you get a raise for that. You can do all these things to keep earning money in the DOE. And I will say, compared to what teachers make in... Indiana or Ohio, where I grew up, New York teachers are paid really well. Not for New York City, but for national averages of teachers in the country, we make the most. And I think LA. But compared to what a New Yorker would make for the hours we work, it's not comparable. So back to your question, it's always been a pretty large chunk of my income. Now it's twice it's twice that every month. So when did you find out about public service loan forgiveness? Where were you when you found it? Did you, you know, someone tell you, find it on the internet? And what was your reaction to it? Well, it was 2007. The internet wasn't as prominent as it is now. It was, it was a, com- it happened in my school, the first school that I was at. And I started teaching before this program came out. I started teaching in, on January 
27th. I was hired on January 27th of 2007. That program wasn't in existence until the fall of that year. So when we came back to school and then it, it became known, like, hey, God, like, this is a thing. You know, if you're still in it. And, and one of my best friends was not going to be teaching. She did not want to. And she knew, like, this isn't going to affect me at all. But I knew I wanted to. And I was like, cool. Like, I'm going to keep doing this thing that I love. And in 10 years, I will have be debt-free. So I just kept going with what I was doing and believing in 10 years and, I, and as the years started, like it feels so far away when you're in 2007. And also I was really young. So it felt like an eternity. But I remember when like 2015, 16, it was really close. Like I could see the finish line. And I remember thinking this huge chunk of my payment is going to disappear. And I was so excited. And I filled out my paperwork sent everything in, and I remember getting a letter back in the mail and being so excited to open up that letter and see the rest of your loans have been forgiven. Congratulations. But it just said one of your loans didn't qualify under the program, so you've been just, like, you, you don't, you, you're not approved. So you went from thinking $120,000 in debt was going to be forgiven. You worked so hard. But then now they were like, because of this tiny thing, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know how tiny, but because of the tiny thing, it's just rejected. I mean, how did you feel and where were you when you found this out? Like in your living room? Or? I was in my living room, yeah. And my roommate was there. And he's not just a roommate. He's like my little brother. And I was so mad, and I was just, and he could tell something was wrong. And he kind of was like, I'm really sorry, because I was, oh, I was so mad. So I was with Nelnet for my whole, and Nelnet, I was with Great Lakes, I was with Sally Mae. Like, they sell your loans to different people, and then you're with a new carrier. Most of the time, I was with Nelnet. So... To be on this PSLF program, you have to be on an income-based repayment plan. So every year you have to fill out your paperwork to prove that you're on the right payment plan and no one is telling you throughout that time. And I would call, I would call to recertify and I would talk to people on the phone. I would call and ask questions. And I'm kind of a snarky person and I like to make light of things, but I would say, you know, you're not going to hear my voice very much more, many, much more often because my loans are about to be forgiven. And they were like, yeah, 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 you know, you're qualified. And they sent me an email and said, you know, you qual- you, you paid your 120 payments. So apply for this app for PSLF because you won't owe us anymore. And... I did. I did all that. So after that, my loans were moved to FedLoan. That's who I had to apply to the program through. So FedLoan was the one that wrote me back and said one of your loans wasn't a direct loan. So I called them, and I was like, I'm not going to repeat exactly what I said, but I was very 
direct with them. And they said, well, there's nothing we can do. You didn't, you weren't on the program. So what you need to do is reconsolidate so that all of your loans are direct loans again. And you'll probably be back with Nelnet. And then, you know, then we'll talk. So I reconsolidate. All my loans go back to direct loans. There was one loan. Because when you're paying, like I'm paying that monthly payment, it's paying several different loans. One of those was not a direct loan. All of the other ones were. How, how many? many? I don't know how many. It's just a bundle. It's a bundle of loans. And you pay one payment for those. I have it on now. Like <laughs> I have kept my paperwork now, but I don't have it memorized. It's just um, I'm more educated in how it works. I didn't know that. I just paid that loan payment every month, believing in good faith that that's what I needed to do. So then now I call, I'm reconsolidated. I call Nelnet, and I say, okay, now, finally, all my loans are direct loans. What do I need to do? And they were like, oh, well, now you start over at zero. So you have 120 payments. In July of this year, I had I was collecting my paperwork and to tell this story, and I was and I was calling FedLoan, and they they told me so many different lies on the phone. Different, like you can call back, you could call and get an answer, and then call back and get a different answer five minutes later. They would not let me access my paperwork. They would not send it to me in the mail. When I log into my FedLoan account, it says I was never a customer, and there's nothing in my inbox. So then I'm talking to this guy on the phone, and he's like, well, why did you reconsolidate? And I was like, because you told me to. And he was like, that's false information. We would never have told you to reconsolidate. If you would not have reconsolidated, then all of your direct loans would have been forgiven, and the one loan that wasn't would be the only loan that you're paying on. But you reconsolidated, so you started back at zero. Why'd you reconsolidate? I said, did you think I woke up and said, let me just reconsolidate all my loans? Like, that sounds like a fun thing to do with my time. I am directly following the advice that you told me. And so now I'm at 120. I took a, I deferred for a year because I believed that I had the, I, I had been given false information. So I tried for a year to figure out what ground I had to stand on. And after a year, I realized I just am never going to get to 120 if I don't start. So I started paying again last year. So I'm like 108 left or something. It just seems like at every point of time, you know, there was no consensus on what you need to do. So first it was you have this one loan, you need to fix it. And then now they're like, no, I didn't tell you that. I mean, have you have other people gone through the same thing? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm in a class action lawsuit against the Department of Education for this. And there are 8 of us on this lawsuit. But I don't I'm I work in education. I'm in my 14th year. I don't know a single person who's had their loans forgiven. Everyone has been denied. So it's not like is are there more people 
It's I, like I, there's no one that I know in all of education and throughout the country that I know that's been granted PSLF. Did you consider applying for the... So maybe we should backtrack here. So what is in your mind the PSLF program? Can you just describe it? It's public service loan forgiveness. If you're a teacher, if you're a firefighter, if you work for a nonprofit hospital, if you're a nurse, anything that's considered public service. If you work for 10 years, if you pay your payments every month on time, 120 payments under an income-based repayment plan, so you pay according to how much you make, after 120 payments of on-time payments under this repayment plan, whatever debt you still owe is forgiven. Thank you for your service to making our society a better place. That was the promise. And so because that had that was an epic failure because 99% of people were rejected. I don't know who that 1% is. 0.1% <laughs> is. They created this temporary public service mm-hmm. loan yeah. forgiveness program. Yeah. Did you try for that? I did. Did you know that the qualifications for that program, it was only meant for people that were on the wrong repayment plan. It was not meant for people that had the wrong kind of loan. So I applied, and they were like, oh, no, you were on the right. You still don't have the right kind of loan. So in addition, recently, and I don't know why, my pay, my total of what I owe every month is increasing. So I'm paying my bill every month, and when I get my statement back, it's more money than it was the, the month before because on an income-based repayment, repayment plan, it doesn't cover the interest. The interest is so high that my payment isn't even taking my payment down. And I contacted my attorney and I said, like, what is happening? It didn't, it, I don't know if it's because of a certain income bracket or I don't know why. It used to go down. It's not going down anymore. It's going up $7 a month. So she said, apply for the PSLF program so that FedLoan takes you so that you're not with Nelnet. Nelnet's no longer calculating your loan payments, but P- the PSLF Fed loan will. And then they'll track you and tell you how, like, because of this epic failure, they're now letting borrowers know y- you have 97 months left. You've made this many qualifying payments. So two weeks ago, I did all my paperwork and sent it all in. I've heard nothing back. So would you say you're like kind of, so FedLoan says that you don't even exist. Like you log into the thing and mm-hmm. it doesn't exist. Nelnet says you've been transferred. So you've kind of been stranded by loan services. No? So I, I apologize. In 2017, I went from Nelnet to FedLoan. Mm-hmm. FedLoan denied me. Mm-hmm. They told me to reconsolidate. I went back to Nelnet. I'm with Nelnet now. My interest is my interest on my loans is causing my balance to go up every month, despite a $488 payment on time every month. My 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 balance is increasing by seven dollars. My attorney told me to reapply to FedLoan 
so that they can accurately track my payments and make sure that I'm on the right plan and that I have documentation because they will be more diligent about it than Nelnet, theoretically. But I still haven't heard back from them. It should be a day of sending in my paperwork and they say, okay, we've taken your loans on you, now pay us. But also, I'm sorry, I just want to rant for a minute because I, after this whole debacle, I was like, you know what? I'm not going to take anything over the phone from these people. I'm going to take everything in writing. So I'll email them. Five to seven business days later, they'll email me back. And they'll say, you need to call us. They won't answer my question. They won't put anything in writing. I'll write back and I'll say, I want everything in writing. I know they know who I am. I want everything in writing. We understand why someone in your position would want this in writing, but we will not communicate with you if you don't make a phone call. What kind of business is that? You, you, you're telling me I owe you $90,000 more dollars. And you can't put something in writing? There's no tr- I do not trust the system. I do not trust FedLoan. I do not trust Nelnet. I don't believe that in 10 years my loans will be forgiven. I just have, like, I have to manage my expectations. I do not have any faith. So you're back to square one at this point. Right. 108 payments more to go. Right. It's just... I don't know, man, how you do it. But how long are you on the phone with these people? And how long does it, like, are you waiting on the phone to get connected to an actual person? I haven't called since July. But, oh, my gosh, it was an entire day of my life just on the phone with FedLoan trying to get access to paperwork that they wouldn't give me access to. And then they emailed it to me. I said, I want it. Like, I need it today. They didn't, they didn't know. This was before the lawsuit was filed, and I was trying to stay under the radar. So I said, I need this paperwork, and I need it today, and I have a right to it. It's, it's like mine. I, I want to see what these documents, all of it, everything you have on me. And they said they sent it a month ago, and I still don't have it. I said, you said you sent it a month ago? I don't have it. So send it to me in an email. They sent it to me in an email with some sort of signature passcode on it that I couldn't access unless I was on a desktop IBM computer. So I had to go to my school in the summer and log on to the to the school in the in the office to the computer in the office and then once I opened the email it wouldn't let me access it. It was just like it was like everything was a hurdle for no reason, and I still never got my paperwork. <laughs> it just feels like they don't have any interest to make it easier, right? It's just Oh, they don't. Fedlone has... They have a billion-dollar contract with the Department of Education, and they are the sole servicer of this program. Why do they care if they're servicing us well? Nothing's on the line for them. And with our current Secretary of Education, like, I testified in Congress in September, and from where I was sitting, the right side of the room 
were the pro-PSLFers, the left side of the room were the anti-PSLFers. Nobody on the left side of the room spoke to me. Nobody asked me a question. Nobody asked for my story. The right side of the room wanted to hear, put a face to this. Just tell us how this, like, we wrote this law. How did it affect you? What happened? The left side of the room said this law should never be in existence. We never should have done this. You should have been able to figure it out if you knew how to read. And then I and the the head the CEO of Fedloan was supposed to testify and he refused to show up. So there were three of us there instead of four. He was supposed to be sitting next to me. And he's golfing buddies with with the one of the men. I forget his name. But he's golfing buddies with like they're friends. It's it's a it's so corrupt. Not that you can't golf with people, but you can't golf with people. Like, there's a billion-dollar contract. <laughs> I know what you mean. It's not just golfing, right? They talk business also during these golfing. Yeah, of course. So you mentioned going all the way to D.C. I mean, how did you feel when you were contacted to go to D.C. and you joined the lawsuit? Is that why? Can you tell me about you know, getting the call and you traveling to D.C. I mean, how was that experience like testifying in front of like <laughs> a Congress, right? So I filled out a survey last year, maybe in April. It came to my email through my union and it just said, if you were denied PSLF, fill out this survey. And I said, sure. Great. Someone wants to listen? I have some things to say. I did not think anything was going to happen after that. The next day, I get an email that says, would you be willing to speak to an attorney about this? And I said, sure. I, I have some things to say. I'd love to talk to an attorney. The next day, Selendian Gay calls me and says, tell us your story. I say, okay, here's what happened. And I recap everything I just told you. And she says, you qualify for a class action lawsuit against the Department of Education. Are you interested? And I said, sure. Sign me up. Again, I really didn't think anything was going to come of this. In the next couple months, I can't speak highly enough about Selendi and Gay and Maggie. Maggie's the attorney that's been, like, in charge of my personal story. Just... So dedicated to this case. And the AFT, Randy, Sarah, these people that have come into my life in the past year, like, I can't imagine my life without them. So, like, I've made f really good friends with these people, and I have so much love for them. So, at any rate, I'm talking to Maggie all the, like, every couple days she's calling and saying, okay, clarify this, clarify this, send me this paperwork, forward me this email, and we're just collecting documents. Then it's summer, and she calls me and says, we're going to file on July, on July 9th. Sorry, we're going to file on July 11th. Can you come down to D.C.? We'll, we'll bring you here. Like, we'll take care of it. Can you get down here? I was like, Okay. So I go down there, and I think it really hit me when the AF, AFT was having their TEACH conference, and they walked 
us, there were two of us on the on the lawsuit that were able to go. They walked us into the room with the uh, a general assembly at the AFT, and there was a mic kind of like this one in front of me. And I was like, I can't do this. I can't talk into this microphone. And Maggie was like, just tell your story. Just tell your story. That's it. When I started teaching, Randy Weingarten is the president of the AFT. When I started teaching, she was the president of the UFT, the New York City Union. Then she moved on to the the union for all of America. So she's always been my union leader. I hadn't met her until that day, but we live in the same neighborhood. So there was this immediate connection. And my sister told me, I had to sign all this this paperwork to be involved in the lawsuit. And I said, will you speak to press? And I was like, oh, hell no. (laughs) I am not talking to anybody. And my sister was like, yes, you are. Everything they ask you to do, do it. Everything. And I was like, I don't want to. I do not do well when people are looking at me and I have to speak. I don't do well when I have to speak. I don't do well when people are looking at me. I definitely don't do well when people are looking at me and I have to speak. I don't want to be in front at any time. Our school's graduation. I'm the one that does a slideshow and runs it from the back. You're not going to see me on a stage. I have tremendous anxiety, just in general. You're not going to put me in the, like, I'm not going to do well. I'm going to start stuttering. She said, Basically, you have to. As your sister and your best friend, you have to. Just say yes to everything. So I just marked yes on my paperwork and sent it back. We presented at the general counsel. The next day, we filed the lawsuit. The next morning, NPR was the only news source that knew about it, and they released their story at 530 that morning. That's when I realized NPR just released this story. My name's on this lawsuit could be a big deal. So then we're in a room in D.C., and it's the the attorneys and Gloria and me. Gloria is the other plaintiff on the case. And we're just on this conference call, and there's a moderator, and she's letting different media outlets ask us questions and moderating the whole conversation. After that, we were supposed to hear Randy's speech to start the teach conference, and then we were going to catch our trains home, and that's it. We opened the door to leave, and there were just reporters waiting for us. And I was like, okay, maybe this is different than how I thought it was going to be. And from that point on, my life really hasn't been the same. Because my sister told me to say yes to everything, when I did all those different interviews, it just ripple effect. It was a ripple effect outward. When the labor union was going to review PSLF, they wrote Sarah from the AFT, and she wrote me, and she's like, you have to do this. Like, no no one has ever, no one besides my family has ever said, you have to do this, but she was like, like, you have to do this in a very encouraging way, whereas my sister would have been like, no, you have to do this. But, so I said yes. And The next, Ben from the labor union called me to testify. 
I had to submit all what I was going to read, all of it. They had to review it. It was a con- it was a back and forth, like what to cut out, what to keep, what was what was like my non-negotiable. What part of my story did I want to tell? And I met with Sarah then in the hotel the night before that morning, and I was so scared. And she said, "You are a teacher." Not even the people that are against this program are going to openly attack you. No one's going to put you, cut you open. And, and you're not the, the subject of people's anger, even the people that are against this. If the Republicans, if anyone attacks you, someone on the Democratic side will stand up for you in that moment. And that made me feel calmer. And then she said, and you say whatever you feel like saying. The AFT has your back, and we trust you. And she's like, and literally, I will be sitting right behind you. So all of these things that were like, I would never have been able to do it on my own, but knowing that I had the support of the AFT, knowing that if anything went sideways in in the testimony, someone was going to have my back, all of those things, like, I was not made for this I was made for the classroom. I was made for 6th, 7th, and 8th graders. This whole—this is a whole different world for me. But I have never been left alone in it. I have always had someone standing next to me. Like At least you have a really strong support system now. Yes. Since you joined the AFT. But we are running out of time. Okay. Last question. This is the last question. If you would— we, you know, you if the world allows you to have a do-over, okay, reset to where you were, would you still have become a teacher and done all these things and be teaching at the school you're teaching now? Or even just, you know, teaching anywhere. I mean, what would you do if you can, you know, redo everything in your life? There are so many things in my life that I would change if I had a redo. Teaching is not one of them. I would 110% go back and do everything that I could to be in the classroom. I didn't—like I said, I was already teaching when this program came into existence. I didn't decide I was going to be a teacher because my loans would magically be forgiven. I understood my lo- I'm going to have student debt, and I'm going to have to pay it back. There was no other option for me. I did not come from a family that was able to pay for my student for my for my education. So I had to take out student loans and I would go back and do it all again. And if you told me today in order to teach tomorrow, what's tomorrow? Friday? In order to be in the classroom on Friday, you have to go back and you're going to owe us 120,000 more dollars, I'd find a way to get it to you. Because I love my life so much. And I would do anything to be in that classroom. So there are things I would change, but that is not one of them. Legal Tender is made by Yahoo Finance at our studios and homes in New York City. This episode was written and hosted by me, Arthi Swaminathan. Illegal Tender was created, edited, and produced by Alex Sugg. If you enjoyed this podcast, head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and review it for the show. Until next time, thank you for listening to Illegal Tender.